morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Uh, kids, you're dismissed to your class if you want to go. Everybody else, we're in Exodus, believe it or not. Chapter 38. Do you know what that means? We've got three weeks left. So 38, 39, 40. So if you can count, we're getting close. Um, I've got a couple of announcements for us, and uh, one of which I'm extremely excited about, and I'll, I'll kind of set that one up separately. But um, the first is group leader training. So this is for all of our family group leaders, our women's Bible study, men's Bible study, anybody who wants to lead a group, college Bible study. We want to train all of our leaders. If you're interested in starting some sort of Bible study, we want you to come here as we train you how to host a conversation, how to deal with uh, conflict, how to lead a group. We're going to do that on July 30th, immediately after the gathering. And when I say immediately after the gathering, I mean after the trailer's packed. And then we'll meet, okay? Um, lunch will be provided, so if you can sign up, there's a link that goes out in our emails to do that. Um, so we'd love to have you there. Um, this is kind of a generic announcement, but we need help. We need volunteers. We need people who will step up, particularly in our kids and in our tech area. So if you're interested in doing that, Liam's waving at you. You don't know that because he's the tech guy and no one knows who the tech guy is unless there's a problem. Um, but you're doing a great job, Liam. Thank you. Um, anyways, if you're interested in helping in any of those environments, please let Riley know or Caroline or anybody else on our team know that you'd be interested in helping do that. So we always need help uh, for that. Uh, lastly, and then the this, this special announcement. Um, lastly, Fifth Sunday is coming up also on July 30th. And so if you've been around the branch, you know what Fifth Sundays are for. Um, if you're new to the branch, I'm going to kind of lay that out for you. So Fifth Sundays we designate as a family Sunday. So we bring all the kids into the room and, uh, to worship together. And our older kids stay in for uh, the sermon and just to participate in the life of a worshiping body. Uh, we will have a discipleship class for birth to, through three, I think is right. Um, so the little kids can do that, um, to, can, can go to class. But we want to encourage all of our kids to, to grow up in the ways of the church. And so we, we offer that every fifth Sunday, which happens once a quarter. So, okay, lastly, um, something new. And this has a lot to do with what Steve was talking about and the generosity of our body. So uh, a lot of you probably don't know or don't really care about budget. Our church has a budget, um, and we base our budget off of expected, anticipated giving within the church. And so um, we have uh, surpassed our budget for the year. So our fiscal year ends this month, and we start a new one in August. And when I say we've surpassed it, like, it's, the budget number is way back there, and our church's giving is like way, 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 way out there. So we wanted to do something kind of special and something a little bit unique in the life of our church. We wanted to just give away some resources. And so uh, on July 30th, so the last Sunday of our fiscal year, every dollar that comes in that week, we're calling it Give It Away Sunday, we're going to give to two organizations. One is local and the other is global. Okay, So the first one is Community Helping Place. Some of you are probably familiar with who they are, what they do. Um, and so we're going to give half of those resources to them, and the other half is going to a church planting organization, uh, actually that I'm connected to, went through their residency program, and love what they do. And so Two things. One, thank you. It's amazing. It really is um, that we can even be in a position to be able to do that. Um, and two, I just want to encourage you, like, we want to be used by God. We want to be generous. We want to continue to be generous. And so our goal is never to hoard. We don't want to have the church with the biggest bank account. We want to be the church that's making disciples. And so we want to put our resources in the hands of people who are helping do that. And so uh, on July 30th, every dollar that comes in that full week, so if you mail your gift in, 
it's going towards that, okay? So every dollar for the last week of July is going to go towards uh, the equipping group and community helping place, okay? Thank you. It's awesome. All right, let's jump in. Exodus chapter 38. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to read probably faster than normal. I know some of you are like, can't be possible. Um, it's possible. I've been practicing. I practiced this last night on my kids. They were like, oh, I don't think you said his name right. So we'll get to that guy here in a bit, and I'll let you know when it's coming. I'll probably do it without you even having to, like, you'll just know when I mess up a name, okay? Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to take this in kind of three sections. So uh, verses 1 through 8, we're going to do together, okay? So this is the, the altar for the burnt offering and the bronze basin. And then the actual making of the court we're going to do as its own bit. And then the materials for the tabern- tabernacle is kind of more of like accounting. So like if you're an accountant in the room, you're going to love this part of the Bible. Um, if you don't like numbers, um, don't fall asleep. That's all I'm asking, Okay. All right, so let's start. Exodus 38, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 8, and then we'll take a break, okay? He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, and five cubits its breadth. It was square, and three cubits was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. He made all its utensils of bronze. And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze under its ledge, extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards. Verse 8, he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, so I'm going to throw those photos. We've used some of these in the past. Can you put the tabernacle up, the whole tent? Uh, okay, so we showed, we showed this a few times. We showed it last week. Okay, so what we're talking about right now is the altar for burnt offering is the thing down here. Uh, I was trying to like, I almost bought a laser pointer, but then I thought you would make fun of me, so I didn't do that. Um, I had a teacher in high school, my history class, um, who refused to use, she used the projector, but she didn't use the screen. She just used the whiteboard because she liked the way that when she hit the board with her stick, it, she liked the sound that it would make. And so she would like point things out, you know, on the map. She'd be like, there's Atlanta. And we're like, we know, you know. Uh, so anyways, that is the uh, altar for burnt offering. Um, she was a very difficult teacher, by the way. I didn't like her very much. So um, in Jesus' name. Okay. All right. So here, here's, the main, here's the main point, okay? And this, I think, will help lay the, fa- the foundation for where we're going to be the rest of the morning, that, that God has chosen to dwell with his people, okay? Th- this is the point, all right? So we've, we've kind of done all this, right? We've talked about this idea of repetition now for the last few weeks, but we're repeating again. We've got the instruction, and now we're getting the construction. They're making. They're actually putting hands to work, okay? They're building the thing that God has required them to build. So what do we have here? What is this? This, this is a picture of obedience, plain and simple. That's it. There's nothing super special outside of it actually being the dwelling place of God, so that's pretty special. But like from a human standpoint, like what's special about this is the people of Israel said, yes, Lord. That's it. This is a picture of obedience rooted in faithfulness. Okay? So that's the, the idea of this morning, obedience rooted in faithfulness. But God hasn't decided to join them because of how prepared they were or because of how much bronze they had or how much gold they had or how much cool yarn that they had or that they could knit. I had a teammate in college who would knit on road trips, and we actually liked him. 
okay? He was a pretty good guy. We liked him. But that's what he would do. He would knit like scarves and blankets, and he's like a 19-year-old man with a needlepoint knitting thing, you know? It's like, I guess he was just being extra biblical. Like, he loved this part of the Bible. I don't know. Um, but the idea here is that God hasn't decided to join them because of their obedience, Okay, he hasn't decided to join them because they were prepared to build. God dwelling in, the, in their midst is a matter of divine initiative. It's a matter of his promise. I want to remind you of Exodus 29. Okay, this was now a few months ago. Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46 say this. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. I am the Lord, their God. So this has more to do with God choosing and deciding to dwell with his people than how good God's people have been, okay? So their obedience now is a response to God's presence. Do you see how it goes in that order? So when we were doing the instructions for the tabernacle, do you guys remember this? We started from the outside and we worked our way in. Okay, so we started in the courtyard, and we went to the altar, and we went to the, the tent, and we went into the Holy of Holies, we went to the Ark of the Covenant, and now we've gone backwards, right? Now we're Ark of the Covenant, the tent, the Holy of Holies, the tent, the camp, right? And so now we're working our way out. And I don't want to make, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but that's exactly how God works in our lives, right? He uses, he uses people in our lives to point us to Him, right? So from the outside influencing in, and then He changes our hearts. It's a dead heart made alive, and once our hearts have changed, now we begin to work from the inside out, okay? So don't forget the God's promise, I will dwell among my people. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So this idea of the burnt, the altar for burnt offering, okay? Hebrews 9 verse 22 says this. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Do you guys know this? There's no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now that's in the New Testament. That that truth is still truth in Exodus chapter 38. There is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. And so this altar was a bloody mess, right? The people of Israel would constantly bring in their offering. The animal would be slaughtered, and in that would come their atonement. They would be brought back into right standing. Now, it was temporary, right? It was a, a temporary fix. It wasn't eternal in nature. Did it have the opportunity to be eternal? Yes, if they had brought their sacrifice and sacrificed at the, the altar of burnt offering and then never sinned again, they would not have needed another sacrifice. But the problem is they left the tent, they went out the curtain, and they sinned again, right? So there was a need for another sacrifice. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So what's the point in all this? What's the point of the burnt offering? That blood is the way to God, right? We can't stand before God in sin. So there must be forgiveness of sin. In forgiveness of sin, what does that require? Blood. Okay, so if you're, let's do this real quick, okay? Uh, I understand that if you're new to church, this sounds really weird, okay? And I'm sorry for that. This is just our church. We preach verse by verse. We've been in Exodus for like a long time uh, since I've been your pastor, okay? So, um, which is kind of cool, I guess. Uh, I'm excited to be done. But if you're new to church, in, just in general, like you, you just walked into the church because we have a cool sign out on the road, um, let's talk afterwards because there's a lot of background that we need to give you before you're like, I just went into a place and all they did was talk about blood, you know. Um, we believe, as Christians, that the blood of Jesus is the atonement for our sins. It's what has brought us back into right standing with God, okay? Blood is our salvation, 
plain and simple. If you are, if that is you and you're in the room, maybe not, I don't know, I'm glad you're here. Okay, so let me say that. I'm going to move us on. Okay, so standing between, we still have the picture up? Yeah, so standing between uh, the tabernacle, the tent, and the curtain is the altar for burnt offering. So this curtain, there's only one entryway. Okay, it was one way in and it was one way out, right? So there was only one way to get into the dwelling place of God. Is that still true? Absolutely. There is one way to get into the presence of God, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right? So there are five kinds of offerings. Uh, We learn this in Leviticus. Um, I do promise one day we're going to go through Leviticus as a church, and you're going to love it. All right? I promise. Okay? But not now. We're not doing that yet, okay? And we're not doing it next either, all right? Uh, That's more for me than it is for you. Okay, but there are five types of offerings that we see at the beginning of Leviticus. So in Leviticus 1, I'm going to do that again, so just be prepared for it. Leviticus 1, chapter 1, we see the burnt offering. There's a whole bunch of instruction and details around the burnt offering. But the idea here is that it's a general sacrifice for sin. Okay, it was a a sacrifice for atonement where an entire animal was being brought uh, to be burned on the altar. Okay, so that's from Leviticus chapter 1. The second is a grain offering, and this would come from the, a part of the harvest that was dedicated to the Lord. Okay, so they would, they would grow their, their crops, and they would bring a portion to the Lord with thanksgiving. That's what this is. It's, uh, the grain offering was a, a, an offering of thanksgiving and joyfulness that God had provided for them okay, um, for all of his blessings. The third is a peace offering. This is from Leviticus chapter 3. This is where part of the animal was sacrificed to God, and the rest was eaten by the worshiper, by the one bringing the sacrifice, right? This was a, this was a shared sacrifice. It was a shared meal where uh, part of it was dedicated to the Lord and part of it was dedicated to the person bringing it, okay? So the peace offering was a celebration of that covenant friendship that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. The fourth is a sin offering. This is from Leviticus chapter 4 where we see this purification for ritual uncleanness, Okay, so a sin offering is when we were, were washed away, like our sins have been washed away. Okay, this is the idea of like the, the, the blood stains have now been made white. Okay, we've been atoned for specific sins. So, right, this is the thing where you slam your hand in the car door and you say the thing that you're not supposed to say. You bring a sin offering for that thing, okay, or whatever it is. All right, that was just the first example. I have not slammed my hand in a car door in a long time, okay. Uh, I do have a pretty gnarly cut on my arm right now that's healing, which even as I was looking at it this morning, as I was getting ready to come here, I was like, man, that's such a cool work of how, like, how God has crafted us. Like, this thing did not feel good for a while. I don't know how I cut it, okay, full disclosure. I just like, got home, got in the shower, I was like, ah, and I had this big cut on my arm. And as it's healed, the pain has gone away, right? And I think that's how God often works in our lives. So don't slam your hand in a car door. But we all have sin. Okay, may not be that one, but this is the idea of purification uh, for specific sins. And the last one from Leviticus chapter 5 is the guilt offering, okay? This is atonement made for inadvertent sin, okay? Sin that you're not, you don't know that you've done yet, okay? Or sins that are, are inside that you haven't necessarily confessed. But anything that's gone against God's law has been brought now and covered by a guilt offering. So it's a lot of offerings. There's a lot of blood, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of remembering, okay, well, hold on, I did this thing, so what does that require? Okay, I got to go get this to bring it to the, to the altar. And they would lay it down in hopes that God would restore them to his presence. Okay? Thank God for Jesus. I'm going to read from Leviticus chapter 6 real briefly, but it says this in verse 12 and 13. It says, The fire on the altar 
shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. So the fire for the burnt offering was never out. It was constantly being burned. Do you know why? Because God's people were constantly sinning. And it couldn't be like, hey, just hold up while we go start the fire again, okay? It was, it was just an open curtain. I was going to say open door, but it was an open curtain, and people were constantly bringing in sacrifice. So the fire on the altar shall be kept burning. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. Verse 13, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Now let me just speak to like, okay, so what, like I, I don't get it. What does that mean? Let me just tell you how, what this looks like in light of Jesus. Okay? There is never a moment where his sacrifice for your sin is not enough. It is a fire that never goes out. Okay? It is an altar that never ceases to burn because his sacrifice was one time for all time. We don't need anything else. It's just him. It's, that's it. Okay, so if you came into the room today and you're like, oh, you know what, I think if I come to church this morning and God will love me more, if I come and I go to Bible study, then, then he'll forgive this particular sin. It doesn't work like that. We call that legalism, okay? And the people of Israel were wrapped up in legalism, okay, because they had to keep these laws in order to get God's favor. But in Christ, we don't have to do that. We have God's favor because of Christ, not because of anything that you've done. Find freedom there. But the altar of burnt offering was temporary. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Just, I'm going to read it slowly. I thought I was going to read fast. I'm going to read Exodus fast. I'm going to read Hebrews slow. Okay? Listen to this word. I love this passage. Verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. I'm scared for us about that. I'm scared that we are not aware of our sin oftentimes. If you grew up in church and you kind of lived the Christian life, this is our tendency is to forget that we're also sinners, okay? Yes, redeemed, but we still should repent and walk in obedience. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Underline that in your Bible. It is impossible for the work you do in the world to forgive sins. Did you hear that? Okay. Hello. I'm Stephen. It's great to meet you. I'm glad that you're here. The branch. Okay, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, verse 7, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now listen to verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Do you see what's happening here? 
all of the requirements that we're reading about in Leviticus, all the requirements from Exodus, that is first. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What does it say? Once for all. Amen. Once for all. Do you know how intimidating it would be in this system to walk through that curtain? Yeah, you have your sacrifice. You have you know, like whatever animal that you're bringing in. I'm sure the anim- poor animals, like they know what's about to happen. Like you're just like trying to drag the bull in. Like, you know, bulls are bigger than you, by the way. But you got to get them through that curtain. You got to get them to that altar or you're going to die. Guess who wins that fight? You do. But you don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to drag a sacrifice to the altar of God because the sacrifice is already there. The the sacrifice of Jesus happened one time for all time. This is a quote from David Levy. He says this. He says, The brazen altar typifies Christ's redemptive work on the cross on our behalf. The altar typifies Christ's redemptive work on the cross on our behalf whereby all who put their faith in his shed blood are justified and receive remission of sins. Just go look at, read Romans. He continues, Just as it was impossible for the Israelites to come into God's presence without sacrificing at the brazen altar, so it is impossible today for people to come into the presence of God except by the ministry of the cross. There's one way in. That's it. And thank God the curtain has been torn. The basin, which is right there in the middle, it's the little thing. It's got, so you probably can't see it, but it's in the middle up there, kind of, yeah, right in the middle. That, what it was used for was just to wash hands. This, the poor priests were covered in blood all of the time. So for them to go from the, the altar into the tabernacle, they had to be cleansed. So there was a spiritual cleansing that happened at the altar and a physical cleansing that happened at the basin. They would wash their hands. And what does that symbolize? It symbolizes the cleansing power of God's grace in reviving dirty, dead sinners like you and me. But we don't need a bronze basin anymore. We don't need a bronze altar because we have been washed clean by the one sacrifice that was good enough to cover the stain of the entire world. What was lost in the garden was redeemed on the cross forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And amen. All right, let's keep going. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. I'm going to read down through verse 20, okay? Everybody doing good? It's cool. All right, verse 9. He made the court. For the south side, the hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty basins were of bronze. But the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the north side, there were hangings of a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze. But the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the west side were hangings of fifty cubits. Their ten pillars and ten bases. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the front to the east, 50 cubits. The hangings for one side of the gate were 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. And so for the other side, on both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three bases. 
All the hangings around the court were of fine twine linen, and the bases for the pillars were of bronze. But the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. The overlaying of their capitals were also of silver. And all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver. And the screen for the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. It was 20 cubits long and 5 cubits high in its breadth, corresponding to the hangings of the court. And their pillars were four in number. Their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals, and their fillets of silver. And all the pegs for the tabernacle and for the court all around were of bronze. Jesus is Lord. Okay, what's the point, right? Jesus is Lord. I, I, I know we've said this a million times, but the, the detail here is really beautiful, okay? I mean, I know you can't see great, but like, there's so much attention here. There's so many things that had to be followed just exactly right in order for this to be the perfect place for the dwelling place of God. We see it later with David and Solomon. It's like, I'm going to build you a house. Well, I don't need a house. Even the psalm that we read, this: what does God desire? He desires you. So we don't need to have fancy things. Like some of you might be in the room being like, why are we giving away a bunch of money? We don't have our own building because we don't need a building. Do we desire a building? Yes, we do. Full disclosure. But we don't need a building to do what God has called us to do. We can do it here. We can do it out there. We can do it anywhere. Okay, it sounds like a kid's song, but it's true. Okay? And everything that was built, all of this was portable. So we're just trying to be like Exodus. We're trying to be like the people of God. Okay? We're portable. Right? But all of this would be packaged up and they would move on. Because remember, they're wandering through the desert. It wasn't until much later that God gets this permanent place. And his response was very different than the tabernacle. Right? But now we don't have to worry about that. So what's the idea of the courtyard? The courtyard was like this, this key demarcation. Right? that they were now entering into this sacred space, okay? It's like for some of you, like some of us, like we walk in, it's like you come in here on a Sunday afternoon, this place is different. This place is a place of pickleball. But if you come here on a Sunday morning, this is a house of worship, right? But you have like, we have signs to say like, pickleball is going to have to wait, we're doing church right now, right? And that's what the curtain was. It was like this, this courtyard was like, hey, you're, you're, whatever's going on out there needs to be put on hold. We're entering into this sacred space where God has promised to be, okay? Now, the beauty of life with Christ is we don't have to come in to a church building to have the presence of God anymore. His promise to us is wherever two or more are gathered. Now, here's what's beautiful about a Christian family. Okay, why do we do everything in the context of a family? Because if you live in life as a family, like my family, okay, which I've got a cool story to tell, and I'll do that in just a second, one point at a time, okay? But our house, like the Lord is in our house because there's more than one believer there. Praise God for that. And I hope there's many more. Well, just three more, okay? Not many more, just only three. <laughs> okay? All right? But this is, this is the beauty of a Christian family. It's like where a husband and wife come in and they're raising kids together. If you're doing that in the ways of the Lord... Those kids, I mean, I don't know where they're going to end up, but gosh, they're going to see this diligent rhythm of discipleship in their lives and praise God the day that they, their lives become lives for Jesus. And so the quick story that I've got to, to tell you today is like, we have, so we have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. So if you're doing the math, you're like, so what's going to happen this year? No, nothing. The, the, the threes are over. 
okay? But we have a three-year-old, Berkeley. Some of you have met her. You've all seen her, okay? Some of you have met her. And she walks in today with my wife, and she's like, I want to do the singing. This is the first time she's ever wanted to do that. She's three. She wants to come in here and sing the songs because she knows, like, in her heart, her little baby three-year-old heart, like, there's something beautiful about God's people singing songs to the glory of God. She is three years old. And she's going to poop in her pants later. That is a fact. But there's so much beauty. Like, this is why we do family fifth, fifth Sundays, because we want our children to be raised in the ways of the Lord. And it doesn't matter how old they are, but when they come in, they know that something special is happening in here. And so whether it's a three-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 75-year-old, or I don't know how old we are in the room, but if it's an 85-year-old or a 100-year-old, I don't know. I just, I just edge my bat real high, okay? We come in here to dwell in the presence of God because he's promised to meet us here. And the songs we sing and the scriptures we read are for his glory and his glory alone. And his promises, as we participate in his glory, he is working for our good. And I trust that to be true in that little three-year-old's heart. Okay? I trust it to be true in your heart, too. Okay. Sorry, I shouldn't talk about little children doing things like that, but it's just life, right? It's the reality. Okay, so one way in, there's one way out. Back to my notes. You see that? It's a stellar, stellar transition. I'm going to write my preaching professor later and be like, hey, just so you know, I nailed it. All right. Okay, John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So ordinary people couldn't just walk through this curtain. You had to have a sacrifice, unless you were a priest. Do you understand how devastating that is? You only come in and through your brokenness. Like this is, I mean, this little community has grown. There's a lot of people now. We're about to see about how many men are still around. Like, oh, hey, Bill, he's going back to the tabernacle. I think he must have done that thing again, right? But this isn't the way that this works anymore. Jesus says, I am the door. If you enter by me and only by me, you will be saved. So what does it take to be a follower of Jesus? It takes Jesus. It takes the Spirit of God to work in your heart to take a dead thing and make it a living thing. Now our way in is through the holy, innocent Son of God. I hope you see, it's, it's more beautiful than that stinging curtain. And the curtain was pretty awesome. It was very detailed. Lots of fine twined linen. I hope to never say that again in my life, by the way. But look at it. Like, we don't have to have that anymore. We get to come in by the power, by the presence, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, materials for the tabernacle. Verse 21. These are the records of the tabernacle. The tabernacle of the testimony as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses. The responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, I think I got it. I think that was it. I've been practicing it. I think I got it. Of the tribe of Dan, 
an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. These people were very, very skilled at what they did. These were the best in every area of craftsmanship. Verse 24, all the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. (laughs) All right, 25. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca ahead, that is half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward. Look at this number for 603,550 men. It's a lot of people. We did this when we were leaving Egypt. 600,000 men. We tried to do the math, and we, I think at one point I said hundreds of millions. It wasn't hundreds of millions just to go back, like, be clear on that. This is millions of people. Millions of people. 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. A hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent, a base. And of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar, and the bronze grating for it. And all the utensils of the altar, the bases around the court, and the bases of the gate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle, and all the pegs around the court. That's all of Exodus chapter 38. <laughs> Let's put the uh, altar up there real quick. Okay, so we got a lot more of these details. Okay, so you guys understand how fire works? So, do, so does God, okay? So he gives direction, right? And then we have all this grating, and you know, you could read it and be like, well, what's the grating for? It's for oxygen to come and ignite this fire, right? But for this thing to be perpetually burning, it had to constantly be having oxygen and constantly be having wood to burn, okay? So this is a picture of those, those handles there. That's how they would carry it from, from town to town. But so what do we have here in Exodus 38, 21 through 31? We have like this inventory. You know, it's like they don't have iPads. So somebody's like jotting this down. That's probably the harder job than the guy who's actually having to do all the fillets and things, right? The guy who's having to, how many was that again? 1,700, okay. Are you sure? Doesn't seem right, you know. But this is an inventory. This is important, right? Numbers matter. They do, okay? But this, why do they matter? Because in this numbering is a representation of their obedience, if it was seven, 1,774 fillets, that's disobedience. It's 1,775 shekels to make the hooks. And exactly that many. Partial obedience is disobedience. Plain and simple. You can't halfway follow God. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, come and you have to die to yourself. You don't just like, I'm going to go break my leg, and that's it. I'm going to have a hangnail for the Lord. Okay? No, Jesus says, if you want to, follow, if you want to come after me, you must die to yourself. So partial obedience is disobedience. So what do we see here in Exodus chapter 38? We see obedience rooted 
and faithfulness. This external activity of building things is representative of the internally motivation that God has changed their hearts. These are people now on mission for what God is doing in the world. But more beautifully, what we see is we see life out of death. We see life out of death right there on that altar. And thank God for us, Christ has come one time for all time, and there's no more sacrifices that need to be made. Now we live in light of a risen, resurrected Savior who not only taught us how to live, he taught us how to pray, he taught us how to share a meal together, which we're about to do. He taught us how to live as brothers and sisters. Just go back and read, just, just pick a gospel account, and you'll see all of those things in beauty as Christ lived in the world. So now as we go and we share communion, I pray that you would be mindful of that, that the sacrifice of his blood spilled and his flesh torn apart was so that we don't have to do that anymore. But that wasn't the primary purpose. It wasn't so that we could stop doing sacrifices. It was so that we could forever, eternally, be brought into the presence of God without sin separating us from who God is. But even more primarily than that, it was for the glory of God the Father. That is why he has come. That is why he has died. And that is why he is resurrected. So if you would join us now as we go and take communion, if you're a believer, the table is open to you. Take the bread and dip it in the cup. Be reminded that it was 1,775 shekels for every hook, or for the hooks, okay? But Christ has come to make a way, and our response is that of worship and obedience, obedience rooted in faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this morning, and uh, even as we, we poke fun of being a a pop-up church in a temporary space. God, we are so thankful. We are so grateful uh, just to be able to come in and to gather together as brothers and sisters and to dwell and to worship. I'm thankful for your goodness and your grace towards us. We pray for provision for those who aren't here. I pray for uh, us now as we respond at the table that you would help us Remember and rehearse the gospel day after day. We long for the day of Christ's return, where all things are made new, where we dwell fully and finally in your presence forever. And so, Lord, we love you and we trust you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray now in his beautiful name. Amen.